You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Alrighty, happy hump day, everyone. And I don't know if you can tell in my voice, but I am flapjack and excited because we got our first cold front of October coming through this weekend, and it just so happens to be coming through on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and this weekend, I will be able to hunt Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so um, I'm pretty excited to see uh, what's going to be on their feet, what's going to be moving. I'm going to be able to, uh, you know, hunt a couple different properties, and uh I'm uh, I, I'm really excited because this year I'm going to be trying some new access routes for different stand locations, and uh, you know after after my Friday night hunt, I'll uh, go check some trail cameras and see where the movement is, see what's all happening, and uh, you know hopefully be able to you know add some more pieces of the puzzle uh, together to help uh, you know pattern that uh, that shooter buck and uh, or you know, my, any one of the hitless deer that I have. So, uh, cold temperatures make me smile. And I think, uh, where I'm going to be hunting, it's going to be mid to low sixties the entire weekend. And, uh, so I'm going to be backing up off those field edges. I'm going to be looking for, um, transition areas or staging areas, um, past the, past the food store or past the bedding area, you know, before they get to that food source, uh, back into the timber and uh, depending on wind direction, I might be hunting a couple mornings too, and uh, we will see what comes through uh, those mornings, and hopefully I can uh, line something up and uh, get an arrow in a deer, at least a doe, um, for a little meat in the freezer, but uh, I'm already, you know, on... Uh, on the weather.com or you know where wherever I get my weather report from looking at wind directions making sure it's going to be consistent uh, looking at changes you know and I think about Thursday or late Wednesday night I should be able to know what the hourly wind will be doing for my Friday night hunt and uh, that's uh, that's when I get a more consistent uh, wind direction and that will help me uh, determine where I'm gonna go do a run and gun stand uh, running gun uh, setup, but you didn't come here to hear me talk. Well, maybe you did. I don't know. But uh, so huge cold front coming through. I'm excited for it. I'm also excited for you guys to hear this podcast today. Um, we got Alex Slosser from Michigan, and he's not going to talk about a particular deer, but he's going to talk about his experience hunting public ground in Michigan and uh, some other states as well. So uh, he's going to kind of maybe give us a little advice, give us uh, kind of how he approaches every season, how he approaches uh, hunting uh, high pressured areas. And um, I found I found this very interesting because I've never really hunted on public land. Uh, I mean, I have a little bit, but I guess I'm just very thankful and very blessed to be able to be born in Iowa, have family or friends or, you know, be able to hunt the properties that I have access to hunt. So I'm very blessed on that front. And uh, I have a little pressure, but nothing compared to what uh, Alex describes in uh, the podcast today. So uh, listen up for that. Now, 
before we get into today's podcast, we will be talking with Matt Klein from Exodus Trail Cameras about their five-year warranty. Well, the first thing I'd say about our, you know, our five-year warranty is, is that it's not one of those warranties where, unfortunately, like a lot of companies in this industry, in any industry for that matter, you call them up, you, know, you have an issue with a product, and you kind of get the runaround about every other, you know, circumstance that could be at fault except for their product. So, you know, so many times I've called other camera companies back when I was using other products and, you know, they try to blame it on batteries or SD cards or give me the runaround about this or that. And, and it got so frustrating after a while that nobody would stand up for their products that that was a big part of what in a, what went into our five year warranty. You know, our warranty, we like to call it a no BS warranty. So if you call us up at four years and 362 days, we're still going to take care of you no matter what. And that's our guarantee. So one is just having a warranty that actually means something. It isn't just kind of a marketing tool was really big to us. But the reason that we're able to do that is because uh, one, because of our direct to consumer model, which I'm sure we'll talk about more Two would be the fact that we build our products to last and not to just turn around to get you through another year and then you can buy more products. We build them as tools instead of novelty items like a lot of companies unfortunately are still doing. When companies are in these big box retailers, everybody's fighting for the bottom dollar. Everybody wants to try to make a, a profit margin and there's a lot of different people trying to get their money out of, out of these products. So what happens is quality ends up getting driven down. And that's the number one most important thing to us here at Exodus is putting out products that we we're not going to lose sleep at over at night, you know, wondering if they're going to stand up to the test of time. And, and that's something we hang our hat on and we're very proud of. I just want to find out more information about Exodus trail cameras. Be sure to visit ExodusOutdoorGear.com. And when you guys do decide to purchase one of their awesome trail cameras, be sure to enter the code nine fingers when you check out. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers with no spaces and you will receive $20 off your order. So I suggest you do that. Now let's get into today's hunter profile slash BS session podcast with Alex Slosser from Michigan. All right. On the phone with me now, all the way from Michigan is Alex Slosser. How you doing today, Alex? Good, man. How are you? Hey man, I'm jacked up. Uh it is Oh, me too. Uh so when is when's opener in Michigan? October first? Yep, Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, me too. Unfortunately I'm not gonna be able to hunt Saturday because I gotta I have the kids on Saturday while my wife has an event, but Sunday I'm heading out Sunday night, and uh, I'm I'm pretty freaking pumped up. How about you? You heading out this weekend? Yeah, it, the weather isn't looking like it's going to be the greatest. We're supposed to have rain there uh, the rest of the week, and then all weekend. But you know, it's, it's going to take a little more than rain to keep me out of the woods. Right, right. And I I don't know about you, but I'm I'll I don't even care. I just want to be in a tree stand. I just I'm I'm going to an observation right. stand. Uh, set up I'm running gunning already right off the bat um on a piece that I acquired uh this uh you know this summer or last summer actually uh first time I've ever really dove into it and uh so I'm pretty excited about uh jumping in and start setting up an observation stand uh what do you got uh working this weekend um I'm actually I think Saturday I might try to on a few places where I know there's some acorns, tried to get a doe. My my freezer's pretty much empty, so I wouldn't mind getting the doe to get a little meat in the freezer. But right. um, in the mornings, that's what I'll probably try. But uh, in the evenings, I'll, I'll probably try a few of the areas uh, where I know there's some bucks bedding nearby, um, especially with the rain. Kind of uh, give me a, a free hunt, I guess you'd say, you know, right. that, with the rain washing away all my scents. So. <laughs> I don't, I don't mind too much going in there right away. If I'm going to get some rain. Right. So, so you're going to be jumping into a, a decent spot near some, like, is it a transition area that's in between bedding and, and an acorn? No, uh, I was, I've watched a pretty good buck in the field this summer. Obviously there, there's so much pressure here. Um, the field's private, but there's some public land that surrounds it. And, uh, I watched him there 
through July, but after beginning of August or so, he just, you know, you never seen him out there in daylight anymore. Cause if you went by there in the evenings, there'd be 10, 10 cars or so parked along the road, watching the field, gotcha. you know, cause they probably seen him too. So I'm going to, I, I got an idea where, you know, he's staying from years prior. There's a real thick area about, it's, it's probably three quarters of a mile from the field, but, okay. uh, I got a feeling that it's probably his, uh, you know, uh, home range there. Cause, uh, that's, that's the thickest area in about four miles. I mean, it's, you can't hardly crawl through this stuff. So in order for the buck to get the size he is, that has to be where he's, you know, staying. So I'm going to butt up right close to that and give that a try. And that's what we're actually talking about today. We're going to be talking about, you know, sounds to me, well, before I, you know, talk about, why don't you tell us where exactly you're from? I mean, you don't have to tell us the town, but what part of Michigan you're from? And then uh, what do you do for a living? Um, I'm kind of near, yeah, I don't want to give too general of a, right, or right. too specific of a location, but uh, near the thumb of Michigan. Um, and I, I work at a, a granite counter top shop um you know we do granite and uh marble countertops so so is the thumb that's where i, I forget is the thumb the east side of the state or the west side of the state it's the east side if you okay. hold up your left hand i mean where your thumb is that's you know that's the area i'm in right so back to what i was gonna say was we are going to talk about how you grew up hunting public land. It sounds to me like you're still hunting a lot of public land in Michigan, you know, and all the woes that come with that, like fighting, you know, other hunters and pressure and all that stuff. Um, what, the first question that I want to ask you is the property that is nearest to where you live that you do, you know, your public ground there. Are, what's the population like, do you live out in the country? Are you living in a city? Um, I mean, obviously Michigan has one of the highest populations of hunters in the United States, but what, what are we, what are we talking about? Because, you know, we, even on the wired to hunt podcast, me and Mark, we talk about hunting pressure, but Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not from any of those high populated States with high population of hunters. So for me, hunting pressure, you know, I have to share roughly 400 to 500 acres with three other hunters. So a total of four of us. Now to me, that's pressure. I get, I get a little, uh, frustrated when I have, when I run into, uh, another guy on that, you know, that amount, but I'm able to, you know, adjust and move. What are we talking about from an area and an actual number of hunters that you have to fight on a yearly basis? Oh, oh, I mean, the amount of public land within, I don't know, 30 miles or so, I mean, there's, you know, thousands of acres. I mean, there's there's a good amount of public land. There isn't too much large chunks. Most of it, you know, you're looking at, you know, a square mile. So, you know, the farthest you can get from a road is half a mile. But I don't I don't live anywhere near a real big city. Um but I guess that almost doesn't make too much of a difference here because everyone in these smaller cities all deer hunt. Right. You know, there's I I don't even know last time I talked to someone who didn't deer hunt. So I mean on average like square mile, you know, there's I'd say on average four to six parking lots that you can park at around that square mile. And, you know, all through bow season, you'll average three, four vehicles in a parking lot. Okay. Um, in each parking lot. So, and, and, uh, another way, I, you know, on public land like Michigan tags or even for non-residents over the counter. And I kind of look at it as this public land, you can hunt it. I can hunt it. Anyone in this country can hunt, right. you know, that public land. It's not a private piece where you got to have permission or you got to own it or, right. you know, something like that. It's literally anyone in this country that can have a deer license could come hunt this. Right. So. 
Well, so my, my question then is how, how do you talk with, how do you communicate with other hunters? I mean, you're, you're running into a, another hunter every time you step in the timber, it sounds like. How do you handle, um, you know, confrontation with other hunters? Because I'm sure there's assholes out there right that are like yeah get the fuck away from me i I, this is my area i've been hunting here for 50 years you know all that stuff oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah you'll get that from a 20 year old that they've been hunting there 30 years right right um, so how how do you handle that well uh honestly i i avoid people at all costs like i mean i i don't i i won't just hunt any piece i i gotta find a piece that i know is going to hold big bucks or that a big buck can survive in. And I usually, you know, I, I got to look at the property. I usually got to get in there, whatever. And, you know, it's either got to be so thick that you got to crawl through it or it can only be accessed from one point or it's over a square mile. Like there are a couple sections that might be, you know, two miles across. So, you know, you could get a mile from any parking lot, you know, I got to, or you got to cross a river or something like that. I got to, you know, I, I look for places that it's going to deter most hunters. Right. And then once I find that, then I get in there and I find areas that I see no human sign. Like I, so, I mean, I rarely really run into another hunter when I'm like actually hunting. I might see him coming in or going out um, or in the parking lot, but I I really don't run into many when I'm actually hunting just because the places I pick, I, you know, I specifically look for areas that I don't see where there's been a person in there. Like, you know, maybe there's per, uh, people sign, but it's, it's old. So the chances are real s- slim, but uh, yeah, I, I avoid it. You know, I avoid, try to avoid anywhere where I even think there might be people. And I guess that, you know, a lot of times puts me on the deer because the deer know that too. Yeah. So does that mean that the areas that you're trying to hunt are extremely hard to get to, or is it because a majority of the other hunters in that area are lazy and don't want to go in and do the, you know, through that access route that you're taking? Um, I guess, I guess probably a little of both. Uh, I mean, if, if you, if you go into a spot that you can just walk upright, I mean, I'm not saying on a trail, but you can just walk through the woods upright for a half mile to get to it. There's going to be other hunters there. Right. I mean, a half mile there. I mean, the people aren't too lazy to go a half mile. Yeah. It'll, it'll, you know, weed out a few of the people, but any, you know, most people walk that half mile i'm looking for if if i am looking within a half mile of a access point i'm looking for thick stuff like stuff that most people aren't going to want to you know walk through in the dark or might get lost walking through or they gotta you know cross some water or something like that you know as you get farther like if you can get a mile from an access point then you know you can find a little more easier to access stuff just because it's that much farther for him to walk. Gotcha. But if it's, if it's within, you know, a half mile, I'm looking for just nasty stuff. that's you know, going to be a pain to get through to get to my spot. Right. So kind of, kind of going back to the, the original question where you say you try to avoid people at all costs. And that's something, obviously mm-hmm. I take it that you've learned over the years. Oh, yeah. What, what happens on public ground because you have rights to it. The guy who, you know, either you interrupted or may have interrupted you has the same exact rights to it. Is there kind of a, an unwritten law like, Hey, I'm, I'm here first. You need to get out of here and go somewhere else. Or how, how does that work? Um, you know, like for me, if I pull into a parking lot and there's a car there already, I I'll just find another place because right. I don't, you know, I don't even want to deal with that, but you know, you got your people that, you know, they'll, they'll just 
go to their spot anyways. And all, there's a good amount of state land hunters or public land hunters that they have, you know, there's certain trees that they hunt or certain spot. So that's, that's where they're going. So, you know, I think if I'm there already and they show up, then I don't really have to, uh, worry about it. But, uh, that's how a lot of them, you know, if you walk up, uh, I mean, like I said, I don't really deal with having, having confrontation, um, of someone being in their spot and me walking up on them because I usually know that there's been someone hunting there and I avoid that. But if, you know, if, if I'm hunting a spot and I have someone walk in on, depending on what way they come in or what they did, you know, when they got there or whatever, I might hang tight. You know, if, if they come some downwind to me, you know, it didn't make a ton of noise. You know, usually I'll just try to get their attention, wave my hand or whatever, and hopefully they just see me. I, I've never really gotten a confrontation with someone okay. like that. Uh, usually you just wave your hand and they'll see you. And no, normally they're courteous enough, courteous enough to, you know, kind of head the other way or whatever. But if, if they did come from where I thought the deer were going to come or that's the way they went to after, I'll just, I usually just get down, call it, you know, if it's, evening hunt call a day or if it's a morning hunt i'll usually just scout after that but right so you know obviously you're doing a lot of i take it setting up and tearing down are you doing yeah. what what kind of equipment are you using from a, a tree stand perspective um well i have i kind of have two different well i guess you say three different uh crossbows are allowed here so i, I know most people don't like them and i i honestly would rather use a compound but I, I hunt some spots that, you know, are old clear cuts or there's literally no trees you can get in. And here I got to put every advantage in my favor. So, I mean, if I know there's good buck in that area and I can't get in a tree and I know I have to be on the ground, then I'm using my crossbow because it just takes out the element of having to draw. I right. can just, you know, but, uh, so I do hunt from the ground occasionally with a crossbow, but uh, when I can be in a tree, I uh, I have a lone wolf hang on and lone wolf sticks. I also have some XOP sticks. So uh, I do, you know, I uh, hang sticks and my hang on stand. And I also have a tree saddle that I hunt from. I, I, pref- I prefer the tree saddle because uh, they, these uh, public land deer here in michigan i i think they've just seen like through their i don't know like ancestry or whatever they're they're equipped to look you know if some don't seem right they're looking up in the tree and with that tree saddle i'm not you know i don't got a straight platform sticking off the tree and i'm not you know out away from the tree that tree saddle i can actually put the tree in between me and the deer and I'm, I'm actually can, you know, get right up tight to the tree if I need to. So I look more like a, you know, a a blob on the attached to the tree rather than being out from the tree. So I do prefer the tree saddle because I, I feel like I can uh, hide myself a little bit better with it, but I, I like the lone wolf too, just, you know, Cause it's, right. it's easy. You just hang in and set in it. So, and quiet. All right. So, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about, some, you know, some of the pressure issues, but what is the deer movement like through, you know, on some of the public land that you hunt? I mean, I've heard horror stories of guys, you know, like deer are not moving until the last, you know, like five minutes of light shooting light every, every day, or some are almost strictly nocturnal or some are, um, you know, you know, if it's the only time you might see a, a deer is during the rut. Yeah. Um, I, I think a lot of that has to do with if you're hunting an area that is really, pre- you know, like really high pressured and you're hunting near a lot of other, other hunters, you're going to get those really nocturnal deer or 
deer that don't move till right at last light. And I've, I've ran into that a lot. Um, I, one thing I've noticed is, uh, and me and my dad, my dad hunts a lot of public land. So is my good buddy. And, uh, we kind of talked about, and one thing we've noticed is the increase in deer activity on like Tuesday afternoons through like Thursday afternoons, mm-hmm. because you get a, a large influx of people come Friday and the weekends. And it's, it, you know, I think the deer know that and they, you know, they realize when all the people are coming in. So I think come by Tuesday, you know, the pressure has subsided a little, there's not quite as many people going in and out. So they, they move a little bit more. Um, that's just by, you know, what we've seen, we've seen to notice a little more movement on those, the middle of the week days, you know, and in mornings, sometimes more than evenings, just cause it seems like you have a few more hunters in the afternoons than the mornings. Um, but I, I have noticed, uh, normally I hunt, I, I try to figure out where those deer are bedding. I try, uh, I try to get within 150, 100 yards, even closer if, if it's possible to their beds. Um, so I, I usually, you know, if, if I'm, you know, that close to their bed, they're usually on their feet before dark, but they don't, they don't travel. Like they don't like leaving cover. Um, they don't like traveling more than, you know, your younger bucks, your fawns, your young does, they will. I mean, those are the ones you're going to catch wandering through the woods, you know, an hour before dark. But any of your older, mature does, your mature bucks, they're they're not going. I mean, if they go 100 yards from their bed on that public land after, you know, the first weekend of bow season, then it's, you know, that's just highly unlikely. They're usually within 100 yards of their bed until it gets dark. So that's, I'm trying to get in as close as I can to catch them, you know, as they're, as they're just kind of, they're just milling around, you know, they're, they're waiting for it to get dark. They're waiting for that cover of darkness for them to feel safe enough to, to go on feed. Right. Okay. <laughs> so how often are you, I mean, I know you've already talked a little bit about avoiding other hunters, but there's there's an example, a couple examples on one of my properties where I will go in early, in some instances, mm-hmm. or I will go in later, and make my setup based off of the other hunters going into a particular piece of property. So mm-hmm. so because they're not as, I guess. Um, observant about their wind direction on access yeah. routes. So I will go in earlier or later based off of where I see their truck parked, uh, you know, maybe the previous day or, you know, in the afternoon hunts and uh, try to make my access, my access routes and where my stand locations are. So when they come in, it bumps deer. Or, or moves deer, not necessarily spooks them, but moves them closer to where I'm trying to get or the pinch point that I'm hunting in. Do you ever use hunters as kind of like a pawn in this chess game? Um, I, I do, um, mostly like in gun season, just cause there's so many more, uh, hunters and usually once those deer get bumped, they're, you know, they're run and they don't stop till they're in such thick stuff or you know that you 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 can't even shoot them in it's so thick so i i'll do it in gun season in bow season i i've tried i just haven't had much luck just because like hunters are so sporadic you know guy might hunt there one day but won't be back for a week you know so but in gun season i i try uh i try to get out there and in my tree three hours before it gets light and I'm, I'm back in past where I hope any of the other hunters are going to go in an area where I'm hoping the deer will flee to. And I'm just sitting there waiting. So, um, so <clears throat> you say three hours before sunlight yeah. in your tree stand? Yeah. Like I get up at one in the morning and you know, I'm, I'm walking in the woods at three in the morning to 
get to my tree and I want to be settled in by four thirty. Man, that's nuts. just because, and, and I've literally not been the first person in the parking lot doing that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if people sleep out there or what. I wouldn't put it past them. But oh, man. Yeah. I mean, if you can't, I mean, you won't even be able to get in the parking lot if you get there an hour for light. Cause I mean, it, there'll be so many people. Man, that's nuts. Um, and honestly, uh, two, I think it was two, uh, opening days ago, uh, our gun season opened November 15th, two years ago. Me and my buddy stayed the night in my house and we got up like one, two in the morning and it was a little drive. So we didn't get there till, oh, I don't know, three, three or so. And, uh, in this spot, there's, it's a little over two square mile section. Well, we're going right to the middle of it, and you got to cross swamp to get in there. When we, when we got to the parking lot, there was another vehicle there. And it looked like it'd been there all night. And I told him, well, that's weird. <clears throat> so we start going. I'd never seen another person back in this spot. We cross that swamp. We walk through the woods. We're going, and my light kind of shines something. It almost looks like ground blind. And it just kind of caught me off guard. And I, so I just, it was kind of out of the corner of my eye. So I looked over. Near the tent. And I was like, what in the... And then all of a sudden, you know, it starts moving. We're only like 10 yards from the thing. It starts moving. I see shadows in it. I I looked at my buddy. I was like, are you kidding me? These people packed all the way back in here and then set up their tent and stayed the night back here. <clears throat> and I mean, we were That's hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I've never even seen a person back in there, but... And we weren't even planning on hunting very far from them, so that it kind of messed us up. We had to move a little bit farther, but that, I mean, that just goes to show you never know what you're going to see out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when did you, when were you kind of introduced to hunting? At what age? Oh, that's, man, from, I, I loved hunting from as long ago as I can remember. Um, I, you know, obviously I couldn't hunt, like the laws are different now. I think they can hunt at any age, but I couldn't start hunting until I was 12. Um, so that's when I started hunting, you know, actually was able to shoot anything. I, uh, I was actually just thinking about this today. The first really like hunting experience I remember was with my dad and he owns 30 acres and I was, I don't know, eight or nine. And it was a Saturday morning, got me up and he's got a, back on the 30 acres there he's got like a call we call it the condo it's a like a box blind up on you know stilts or whatever it's about 18 feet in the air so we climbed up in there and he's got we're allowed to bait here in michigan so he's got a bait pile and a food plot out the front and out the back is he's got a scrape and this is around the end of october <clears throat> and it you know it got light i think we've seen some does maybe at first light but he was holding out for a buck and uh it was probably eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning. My dad worked third shift, so he was kind of tired. And he said he was going to just take a nap on the floor of the blind. He told me just watch, but he said, you know, see a deer or see a buck, wake me up, and then I want you to sit down in the corner of the blind. Don't, you know, don't move, don't make a noise. So he's snoring away there on the floor of the blind, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm all watching out all the windows, and I happen to look out that back window at the scrape. Sure enough, there's the biggest buck I'd ever seen. Huge. So I, I woke my dad up, and I sat right down the corner of the line, you know, and he grabbed his bow and opened the window slow, drew. I heard, whack. I was like, oh, you got him? He's like, yeah, I, I hit him. I was like, you know, that's it's a huge buck, isn't it? And he kind of kind of looked at me like, I was like, it, it's, it's big, isn't it? He's like, uh, no, not really. <laughs> well... So we got down, you know, and found the arrow, good blood. And follow little ways, well, the blood lightened up. So uh, my dad said, you know, well, let's back out. You know, we went, we went up to the house, and he wanted to wait. He wanted to wait two, three hours. Well, he was changing oil in his car, and I just kept bugging him, bugging him. I wanted to, you know, find a deer. So we we went back out, got back on the blood trail. It only went about 50 yards, uh, yeah. found it. Ended up being a three point. 
Dan, I could have swore that thing had at least 10. Like, all I seen was just horns. But that's like the first, you know, real memory that I have of hunting. And then once I got to 12, I mean, me and him were out squirrel hunting, you know, every weekend. And once deer season came around, we, uh, you know, always deer hunting. Um, I didn't really start hunting state land until I was probably... I don't know, 14 or 15, my good buddy, him and his dad always hunted public land. And my dad did a little here and there, but I mainly just hunted my dad's property. And, uh, my grandparents has property up North. We hunted that, but my buddy would you know, always come to school and tell me, Oh, you know, I seen a few deer here and always oh, seen a buck. So me and my dad started hunting it a little bit more. And, uh, by the time I was 18, I pretty much was just hunting public land because yeah. I just, I, I loved that ability to just go. There wasn't uh there, I mean, there is, you know, public land boundaries, but you have just so much more land. You can just go. Right. So, I mean, from about 18 on, like I've, I mean, I've hunted, you know, maybe someone's private land if they wanted me to come with them here and there. But for the most part, I'm, I'm on public land. I just, I love being able to just go and find my own spots. So when did you start really get, I mean, was it 18 years old when you were really, when you really started getting into the, uh, you know, going and scouting and looking and doing like the off season, you know, part of deer hunting, uh, you know, to, to put that a little extra effort into hunting so that, you know, you, you were becoming ses- successful on public land. Yeah, um, yeah, about, about time I was 18, about time I graduated, my buddy had killed a good buck or two on public land and his dad had, and I'm, I'm kind of competitive. Like, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not here to compete with my buddy, you know, but if all I'm seeing is does and little bucks, like, I'm trying to figure out what am I doing wrong? Why, why can't I have the success they're having? And so it really, you know, set something off where, I wanted to figure out what I was doing wrong and what I can do right. So, and I, I had noticed they always use climbers and they usually never hunted the same spots. Well, when I hunted, I always had the same spots, same trees I went to, you know? And that was the first kind of thing that I noticed, like they're always moving, you know? I'm sitting in the same spot. I, I might see deer there the first time, but after that, I'm not seeing anything. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of, you know, piqued my interest. And, and from then on, I just, I read every book I could get my hands on, on hunting pressure deer, like Eberhart. I've read all his books. Yeah. You know, I, I went online and found any book I could on hunting pressure deer. I read it. Like I've just, I've just tried to, you know, anyone I've talked to that hunts public land or hunts real pressure deer, I try to absorb as much as I can and learn as much as I can and just put that with what, you know, I've learned in, in my experiences. And, you know, obviously from that, I learned that I need to be out there in the winter and in the spring scouting, you know, and picking my areas. So, like, that's that's probably from 18 on that just really triggered my you know wanting to be successful and from then i've just non-stop tried to learn and study as much as i could about it. another uh another good uh place i've learned a ton of information is uh the hunting beast forum okay online um I've, heard, I've learned a lot of good information from them but you know if like for anyone that wants to get better, you know, wants to, you know, succeed a little more. That's, that's what I'd recommend. Just anything you can get your hands on, just get soak up as much information. Don't, don't just put all your, you know, all, all of it on one source, you know, try to try to get as many sources as you can and pick out, you know, common things from each one or you know just absorb a little from every area and it'll just it'll help you out a ton so what about 
other f- specific failures that you've, you oh. know, that you've maybe learned from over the years? Oh yeah. There's, there's been a lot. Um, well, uh, probably one of the first ones was knowing that I can't just keep hunting the same spot or the same tree. Right. You so know, you gotta be mobile. That, yeah. You gotta be, you gotta be moving, you know, you can hunt the same spot, but you know, like I, like I said at the beginning here, I, I might hunt an area once or twice now because I'm, I'm getting some rain. So that'll help wash away my scent. So, you know, you gotta kind of know when you can get away with hunting an area a little more often. Um, but another experience I learned the hard way was if if you're going into an area and you're not quite sure where you're going to set up, you find a good spot, don't walk past it and come back. I About four years ago, it was middle of October, I was going into an area I knew was good, and I just got off power line, which I was using to access the area, and 30 yards off power line, I found a fresh scrape. And we're talking 13th, 14th of October. Yeah. And I, I had a feeling it was probably a good buck because where, you know, it's close to bedding and it seems like the bigger bucks, they'll make scrapes a little earlier. Yeah. You know, than the smaller ones because they're, they're experienced. They're trying to get a little head start on the, on the breeding or whatever. But uh, I found that scrape. Well, I went a little farther, I found another one leading right into the bedding area. Well, I thought, well, I, maybe I'll just get a little closer. Well, I went about another 20 yards. Couldn't find, you know, a good tree. At the time, I was still using a climber, so I had to have, you know, a perfectly straight tree. There was obviously, of course, a tree there that I could have got a, a hang hang on stand in, you know, which would have been perfect. But I went about 20 yards and couldn't find a tree, so I come back and went to a tree I was originally going to set in, but I thought I might be able to push it a little bit. Well, I got that tree, and I hooked my climber on. As I was hooking the bottom part of my climber on, I heard a grunt, which I thought was strange. You know, it was only, you know, it was two and a half hours before dark, and we're talking middle October. But it caught me off guard, so I looked. Sure enough, here comes a nice buck, 120, 130-inch 10-point. Coming down through started coming right towards me and of course he was kind of behind some bushes got right to where i had walked earlier and stopped looking for a tree as soon as he hit that spot he froze didn't come an inch closer ended up you know taking off but if if i wouldn't have come back you know i i could have had that buck but that's you know that's one thing i've learned if i've walked somewhere don't you know? Don't go back and hope that a deer will pass through that spot because you know the areas I'm hunting, they're too smart. They're not going to. Right. Uh, I'll be honest with you. That right there, you know, I do a lot of running gunning on all my mm-hmm. properties, um, and that is one thing that now that you say it has been the one of the biggest learning experiences from me was. You know, the season is not one day long yeah. and I would always, you know, I would go in, I, you know, I, I feel like I'm a somewhat aggressive hunter, um, mm-hmm. but I would go in, but I would always check myself and question myself. So I'd be, Oh, I think I went in too far and then back yep. out just a little bit when I should yep. have been. Once you go in, you gotta, you gotta hunt at the, f- where the furthest that you go in and not back out at all because, uh, exactly what happened to you happened to Mm -hmm. me like three, four or five times until I realized, what am I doing? I'm an idiot. This is my fault. Yep. Yep. So that's, that's, I agree. That's one thing that I've, uh, uh, definitely had to learn from anything else. Um, uh, obviously the, the wind is the, Big, you know, deer sense of smell is their number one, like, right. you know, asset. Like, that's what they completely rely on. I mean, obviously, hearing and sight, but, like, their nose, they trust that over absolutely anything. Yeah. So, like, the wind. Like, I, for a little while here, I, I really 
got into the whole scent free stuff. And I still, you know, obviously I'm not going to go to the gas station, my hunting clothes and then go in the woods. But I, you know, I was getting to the point where I, I mean, I was going through so many steps of being scent free that it was almost taking the fun out of it and taking time out of hunting, you know, to worry about all this. So I've gotten away from, you know, being quite so, you know, scent free, you know, and I've went more to learning how the wind actually travels. Um, I learned this off the hunting beast website and I, I, uh, use those milkweed, Yep. you know, they're free. And I, I, that's the last two years. I've just been studying that, you know, letting them go when I'm in the tree and watching what they do, learning like, cause I mean, even when I went through all the steps of being scent free, I still would get busted, you know, or I, I would have a deer down with me and it wouldn't smell me. Well, now I know it, it could have smelt me, but because of how the, the wind was traveling where the deer was, it wasn't catching my scent. Right. My scent was going over it or, you know, avoiding it somehow. Right. But, you know, and there was other times where the deer was upwind of me and was smelling me and it was so aggravating. But now I've learned that you, you got to learn how the wind, you know, carries your scent. Right. Um, right. I, I have used, no, I have used the Ozonics and I, I seem to have had, you know, good results with it. I, I can't say there's been a time where I've used it and had a deer, you know, walk through my scent stream when I've had that. And it's actually, you know, blew at me and took off. I've had them hit it and act, act weird the way I've never seen them really act. You know, they, they almost act like, like happy, like licking their nose and they're curious, you know, they're, yeah, like, and, you know, and they're not alarmed. And I've had them walk through it and just not even pay attention. Just, I had one, one time I was sitting on the ground behind a blown down tree. It was a young buck, it's four point, but he literally walked five feet behind me. I could hear him breathe as he walked past me. <laughs> and I had that, I had that Ozonics, you know, right on me. He walked right by and never, never even, you know, missed a step. Huh. That's and I good, feel like uh, my experiences with us. Yeah, I feel like if I didn't have that, I can't say he would have, you know, just been, you know, not had a problem with it. But right. I, right. I feel like that definitely helped me there. But other than, like, other than Ozonics, I just, I haven't had a ton of success trying to beat a deer's nose. I just, I don't know if it's even really possible to right. completely beat their nose. Right. And I'll, I, I kind of, in a way, was the same you know, kind of the same with you. I used to mm-hmm. wash my clothes every night. I used to yep. spray down to the point where I'm almost, you know, my, my garments are almost wet from the spray, mm-hmm. all my gear. And that, you know, you just go through so much of that. And like you said, it just becomes almost a hassle at times. And, yep. and I know a lot of guys are, um, you know, there, you know, you got a lot of guys saying, dude, I don't, you know, I don't, my hunting gear, I put it on and take it off at the truck and I do this and I do that. And, and, uh, you know, that's fine if you feel comfortable doing that. But for me, mm-hmm. you know, over the years and, you know, not to sound like an Ozonics commercial, but I've been introduced to Ozonics that, that kind of helps, uh, nose jammer. I'm mm-hmm. a believer in nose jammer and, and mm-hmm. the fact that you still have to play the wind right? Yeah. You, you, yep. you still have to go in, you still have to, you know, I, I, I hunt on active farms. So another thing that I mm-hmm. do is it, it probably defeats the purpose of the Ozonics and spraying the nose jammer and stuff like that. But my hunting boots, I'll go step in cow manure or, you know, horse turds or, you know, all that stuff mm-hmm. on my way to the, on the stand just to, you know, I'll prevent I'll myself or try to keep myself from touching twigs and branches on the way there. But, you know, once you get to the, once you get to the stand, the, the wind is your biggest, you know, it could be your friend yep. or it could be your enemy. So yep. that's what I, I know that's what I do a lot of my focusing on, but when did you, you know, we've talked a little bit now about some of the failures that you've learned from, but mm-hmm. when did you start, 
becoming successful on kind of like a consistent basis? It was actually probably the probably the year following. I was nineteen or twenty. It was the year following when I I knew I had to learn as much as possible. Uh, you know, I I soaked up all the information I could, and I did some spring scouting that year. Well, my dad goes to Ohio every uh, fall public land hunting, and I I went with him that fall, and I used some of the the info I had learned, and uh, I ended up shooting a nice nine point. And the you know it was one of those I guess what the information was I learned was I don't need to be right on top of all the signs like before you know before I did a lot of my uh, reading and stuff, I thought I got to be setting over the scrape or I got to be right on this rub. But I learned like a lot of that sign is made at night. And so I learned to like study the train a little more and learn how the deer use the train. And I was down there during the rut. So I, you know, I used a, a funnel where there was a big, uh, ravine that went down and there's a bedding area up on top of this hill and those deer had to come down the hill to get around that ravine to go over to another bed bedding area so i had set up there and it was like third day nine point come by looking for does and i shot him uh and then every year since i've just took information i've learned uh the following year i uh I got a 10 point here in Michigan on public land that, uh, I got right up in close to some bedding on an area that, uh, there was a swamp thick area, bedding area. And then there was a, a low area of real brushy thick stuff. And it was about a hundred yards long and it connected to another real thick swampy bedding area. So I set up along that and this was towards the end of October when I figured the bucks might be going from bedding to bedding checking for does and i i knew from some of the stuff i learned they're going to take you know the route that they're most hidden so i was set up along there and sure enough that that 10 point come right along right along that thick stuff heading to the other one when i shot him and then uh i went back down to ohio that year also and uh i got a 10 point down there and i got him i was set up there was a huge like scrape primary scrape area, I guess you'd call it on the side of this hill. I mean, there was 15 or 20 scrapes over there. There's some oaks. Well, I set up on the downwind side of that and there was some bedding off, uh, to my right. And it had been raining. Well, I got in there during the rain set up <clears throat> and then the rain stopped and I, I let it, I let it slow up enough to where, you know, every now and then you just get the drips off the trees. Yeah. Well, about that time, I, I had one of those cans, the little cans. Yep. And I knew, like, because of the rain, if there's a bed over there, you know, you know, waiting for that a doe to come into the scrapes. During the rain, he wouldn't have been able to hear one come in. And so once it got to where I figured he'd be able to hear me, I hit that can. And sure enough, he come out of the bedding and was circling downwind of the scrapes. And I shot him because I was waiting right there downwind. Nice. But that's all he was doing. He was just sitting there in that bedding area. And normally he'd be able to hear a doe, you know, maybe come in to one of the scrapes. But because of the rain, he couldn't couldn't hear that, couldn't hear me come in. So I, I did that, and he circled downwind, you know, hoping to catch the son of her. But that's where I was waiting. And ever since then, I've used... uh I got a another ten point, which I got aged. He was four and a half here in Michigan. He only scored like one twenty. Um, he's real heavy, you know, real heavy horn. Had uh, double split G twos, crab claws on the ends, but like he didn't score much. But uh, I got him. I got him in the morning, and this was about the twelfth. I think twelfth October, fourteenth, somewhere in there. But I had went into the area the morning before and it was a clear cut adjacent to a, a, a field. And I had 
went through their scouting and it had been raining. So I, I knew it would wash. If I found anything good, the rain washed away my, most of my scent. Well, I come across a fresh scrape and a rub on a bunch of bushes. And I had read that, you know, good bucks will a lot of times rub on bushes. Like usually find a rub on bushes, it's usually a good buck. And if you find scrapes earlier, a lot of times it's a good buck. So I got right out of there, went right back in the next morning, got in there, you know, probably an hour for light. And as it started getting light, I had to sit on the ground because it was, you know, it was a clear cut. It wasn't anything you get in tree wise. So I sat on the ground and as it started, you know, getting light, I could hear the deer start funneling back in from the field. And sure enough, that, that 10 point come through. And I mean, it was just shooting light, you know, if I would have been, you know, he, he would have batted probably within a hundred yards of where I was. Um, but he come through, come right to that scrape and I shot him there, but, um, yeah, it's, it's just all been stuff I've learned, you know, over the years. So, so now, I mean, what are you, you know, moving forward? I mean, you obviously take a lot of, you know, it sounds to me like, you know, this is conversation that we've had before the, we did start the recording, but you know, you, you go to a couple other, uh, states every year to do some whitetail hunting, but what, uh, what are, what are your goals for every season? Knowing that, you know, public land is at times, uh, kind of a crapshoot. Um, what are your goals going into every season? Yeah, uh, really, I mean, here in Michigan, I'm, I want to shoot a two and a half year old buck. You know, if he's older, great, but a two and a half year old eight point, if I can do that every year, I'm doing something for the area I'm hunting here in Michigan. Um, out of state, I just, I want to shoot a good buck. You know, I, I haven't went in, I think, three years. I haven't been out of state, but I'm going this fall. I'm going to Illinois, but when I go, I, I have a week, you know, so I, I want to get a buck. I'm not going to shoot a little one, but I'm, I'm just, I'm striving for something that when I see, I'm going to say, Ooh, you know, he's worth shooting. You know, I don't, if I question it, if I sit there and go, uh, I, you know, that's not what I'm after. I'm, I'm after the buck that when I see, I'm saying, Oh, that's a shooter. Right. I, I, I don't, I don't really put inches on it. You know, um, I, I'd, I'd like to shoot a mature deer, you know, and like I said, a two and a half year old here in Michigan, it's a pretty mature deer for public land here. Um, I, I think I've shot two that were three and a half, that one that was four and a half. And I think three more that were two and a half, but that's, that's kind of my goal now. I'm sure after another year or two, if I can, you know, consistently do that, I'll probably up it, you know, and I, I don't know, I guess maybe I should now to where, you know, I should maybe set my goal to where I'm not succeeding at it every year, you know, maybe raise it a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I, I talked to my buddy one time, he, he got a good deal. Someone he knew, was going to allow me and him to come out and hunt. I believe it was, was Wisconsin on private land, a big, huge chunk of managed private land. And it, it was a really good deal. Like price wise, I've never, I've never done any, you know, private land guided hunts like that. But, you know, if I really wanted a giant buck, you know, it would have been a great deal. And, uh, the property, they had the, I think it was like 140 inch or bigger rule. And my buddy asked me and I told him, you know, dude, really, if, if all I was after was inches, yeah, I'd, I'd go with you in a heartbeat. But if I went out there and shot, <clears throat> say 160 inch four year old buck, that buck was probably 140 inches the year before. Maybe I, I'm not yeah. an expert on, you know, this, but just saying if he was 140 inches the year before at three and a half, that was the first year that deer could have been shot on that property. So I'm looking at a buck that 
if I compared it to here in Michigan on public land where there's guys out there that shoot bun bucks every year. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm comparing that to a year and a half old buck right. here on my public land because that year and a half old buck here has been hunted for two years where that four and a half year old buck out there has been hunted for two years. Like, you know, he, he, he was scot free the whole, you know, first two years of his life because yeah. he, he couldn't be shot. So he had nothing to worry about. He had no consequences paid for walking in front of a hunter. So, I mean, and I told him, like, that's, I'd rather shoot a two and a half year old eight point here than go to some huge managed area, you know, and shoot a great big buck that wasn't allowed to be shot until the year I came out there. You know, it's, I'm just, and I think that's got to do with, you know, growing up hunting on public land and, you know, hunting pressured area and knowing how hard I have to work for what I get. But... So last question I have for you is what is, you know, you've hunted public land hard. You kind of know how to be successful. What advice would you give to other regular average Joes out there who are in kind of the same scenario that you have with only having access or choosing to only hunt public ground? Um, like I said earlier, um, learn as much as you can. Um, your hunting TV shows are nice now and then, but those guys aren't hunting pressured public land. So the tips and tricks they're giving you on there probably aren't going to work on the land you're going to hunt. Really good point. So, I mean, let them go in one year and out the other and just enjoy, you know, what you're watching. But don't, you know, don't put too much into learning about what they're teaching because it's most likely not going to work. Right. for you know public land and pressured areas um but just learn as much as you can like i said before avoid people like where there's hunters there's you know your chances of shooting good buck are so greatly diminished that you're probably not going to have it but um and i mean if you're real down about the place you're hunting or the only area you have to hunt you know, don't be afraid to go out of state or don't be afraid to try to try public or, you know, get permission somewhere, you know, keep, you know, open your options. If, if you're limited to a 20 acre parcel that two other guys hunt, look, you know, don't be afraid of public land. Like, you know, you can learn so much out there that I don't, I, I guess just be open to, learning as much as possible. Um, uh, another, I just, one last thing I'd like to say, um, with someone just starting out, uh, hunting who wants to get into it, but wants to start off to shooting nice bucks, you know, they may have only ever shot one deer or may have never shot a deer and all they want to shoot is nice bucks. Hey, my, my hat's off to you. That's great. I wish more people did that but you need to get experience in that moment of truth. Like shoot a few does, you know, if, if you haven't got a buck, shoot a small buck. It's your first, first buck. Don't, you know, don't let what anyone else is going to say, you know, affect what you shoot, but get there. You get so much experience in that 10 seconds of shooting a deer that, you know, you just, you can't learn unless you actually do it. I mean, Anyone can sit in their stand and watch a deer at 20 yards, but things completely change when you're sitting in your stand that deer's at 20 yards and you decide you're going to shoot it. Right, right. You know, your your brain works completely different after that. So, you know, if, if you do want to, you know, just shoot nice bucks, shoot a few does, you know, maybe shoot a small buck. But it's going to be so much harder if you're holding out for a nice buck and that nice buck comes in to make that your first ever, you know, shot at a deer. Cause you're, you know, you're going to be such a virgin to that moment that you're not going to know, you know, what your brain's doing, but you know, you need to actually concentrate on, you know, that's, I guess that's one piece of advice. Cause I know a few people that they just, they want to only shoot nice bucks. They've never really shot deer. And they just want to shoot nice deer. And, 
I don't think they really understand. Like you need to get experience in that moment and that'll make you better at killing nice bucks, you know, when the time comes. Right. Yeah, man, that's a lot of good advice. Uh, Alex, man, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show and uh, chatting with us today. Yeah, no problem, Dan. You got any, uh, you got any deer pegged down for uh, opener here or uh, uh, the rest of the season? There, there's one that I've seen this summer. He's he, He'll go one, probably mid 150s and he's on public land. And Uh-oh. I would I would love to get that one. Um and I don't he could be I found um I actually found a matching set of sheds this spring when I was turkey hunting. I I've never found sheds I've found sheds in Illinois, so I found sheds in Colorado when I've been hunting. Never found a shed, not even a spike shed in Michigan. <laughs> and I was out turkey hunting, I was calling, turkey gobbled. I started walking, just something out of the corner of my eye. I looked down, and there was, you know, a four-point shed. And I, 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 and my first thought was, okay, someone dropped their rattling antler. You know, right, there ain't right. no way I actually found a shed. But it, it ended up being one. Well, I messed with that turkey, couldn't get him to come in. So I, I went towards where I figured that deer had, you know, been staying, bedding. And I, about a hundred yards away, I spotted the other side. And yep. I, I rough yep. scored it. I gave it about a seventeen inch spread. I rough scored it at about one thirty as an eight point. Nice. So it, it was, you know, a nice set. And I don't know if that's the buck because it's the same area. It's only about a mile away. So I don't know if that's that same buck. And if it's not, then I'd be more than happy to get that one I found the sheds to. Right, right. But, well, good luck, man. Uh, I hope you have thanks. a successful season, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, you too, Dan. I hope you I hope you get a big one this year. All right, there you have it. Uh, and right now, I'm actually going to announce the winner of the Redneck Hunting Blind, and his name is Ron Cornell from Indiana. So uh, get a hold of me, Ron. You have 48 hours to get uh, a hold of me before I have to pick another winner. Thanks to Alex for coming on the show and, uh, you know, BSing with us for a little bit. Uh, huge shout out to all you guys for taking time out of your week, your day, and uh, downloading these podcasts. Again, I really appreciate it. Uh, huge shout out to Exodus Outdoor Gear. Huge shout. Yeah, I can't even talk. I'm trying to talk too fast. But huge shout out to Exodus. Huge shout out to uh, DeerLab.com. And uh, like I always say, if you guys want uh, to check out Deer Lab, you can get 30 days for free by going to DeerLab.com backslash Nine Fingers. That's the landing page that uh, they set up just for the Nine Finger listeners. And uh, what else? If you guys are going to be in a tree this weekend, like I suggest you should be with this cold front coming through the Midwest, wear your damn safety harness.